0: and uh, just say thanks for coming to our church. Uh, The church in our day is often seen to be kind of a negative place. Uh, A person might turn on the television and they see a televangelist trying to raise $65 million for a luxury jet necessary for the ministry. Or they change the channel and they see a group like Westboro Baptist who is picketing the funeral of a fallen soldier, or they hear a story about a charismatic cult-like leader who uses his speaking skills to manipulate and abuse people. And all of these things are very wrong and very sad, and they all damage the Christian faith. However, we do not claim any of these people as our own. Uh, These people do not represent us. And in fact, there's a category in the Bible for people like this. They're called false teachers. And they give true Christians a bad reputation. And they are not included in the church at all. But there are other less sensational reasons why sometimes people feel negatively about the church. And this stems from their experience with genuine Christians themselves. These might be people who they've experienced as hypocritical or judgmental or very unkind and mean. These could be people who say they believe one thing but they catch them acting or talking in a completely different way or maybe they hear about a sex scandal or a financial scandal or some sort of other scandal that has happened within the church. And all of these things, too, are very wrong and very sad and damaging to our faith. But unfortunately, what makes it even worse is that sometimes we must claim these things as our own? It's hard to admit it, but the church can be a very imperfect, sometimes very disappointing place. And if there's any question about that, the book of 1 Corinthians confirms it. All you need to do is skim the pages of this book to realize that this church in Corinth that we're going to look at this morning was a mess. Now, when when, uh, we gathered together as a staff to name this series, um, we looked at some different series titles that other churches had named their uh, look at the church in 1 Corinthians. And one of them had named the series, Jesus in a Jacked Up Church. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? It's not a bad title. The church in Corinth really was jacked up. These people were filled with pride and jealousy and Sexual immorality and greed, they were divided. They were a mess. But the truth is, it's not just true about this church. Every church is jacked up in one way or another because it's made up of people who are like you and me. You've probably heard the old phrase, if you find a perfect church, don't attend it because you'll ruin it. That's absolutely true. The people of God are far from perfect. And in the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter saw that firsthand. The Apostle Paul's relationship with this church was incredibly painful and incredibly disappointing. Paul, we're told, because of these people, spent time in tears, and, in fact, his relationship after he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians would even get worse further on. Um, and that's what makes this passage that we're going to look at this morning a, a bit of a surprise. Because in spite of the messiness of this church, what Paul begins with here in this letter is genuine gratitude. And he shows us how we ought to respond when the church lets us down, which it inevitably will. Paul was thankful for these broken people, even though their brokenness sometimes was directed against him. And in the midst of this situation, we're going to find in this passage that Paul's going to celebrate two things that I think are really helpful, I hope, for us this morning. The first one is this. Paul is thankful that God has gifted his church with everything that's needed to do God's work. Paul is thankful that God has gifted his church to do everything that she needs to do his work. If you take a look in verse uh, 4 through 7, he writes, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift." Okay, so what Paul does is he gives thanks to God for the grace of God. And in particular, the way that he's seen this grace is that God has enriched this church so that they are not lacking any gift. Uh, the, what he's talking about as it comes to gifts are uh, spiritual gifts. The Bible teaches that God empowers every person who is a believer in Christ with at least one spiritual gift. These are supernatural abilities that are empowered uh, by God so that that person can do the particular work that God has called them to do within that church. And some of these things are hospitality or service or faith, and, and the list goes on and on. What Paul thanks God for is that this church is a particularly gifted church, and he gives two examples. He, he, he talks about the gifts of speech and knowledge. And what was true in this church in Corinth is that they had some especially, particularly gifted, skilled, impacting teachers in the church. I mean, one of them was the Apostle Paul themself, himself. Could you imagine listening to the person each week who wrote part of the New Testament, having him speak to you? Uh, There was another man who taught in the church whose name was Apollos, and you can read his backstory in Acts chapter 18, but he was a dynamic communicator, and people loved to listen to Apollos. But the irony is this, that we're soon going to discover that the Corinthian people had taken these gifts of speech and knowledge that was meant to build them up and do them good, and they were twisting them and misusing them. And the knowledge that they received from these teachers began to puff them up. So they were swollen with pride, and it became far more about the teacher and far less about the teachings. And there were factions. And cliques that formed and hard feelings and popularity contests. And there became debates about who was the better speaker or leader. And everyone had their hero that they followed. And these spectacular gifts that God had given this church became not building blocks, but they became stumbling blocks. And what Paul's going to do as we move through this letter is he's going to deal with these things directly. And he's going to deal with them firmly. But first... Even in spite of these people's foolishness, Paul begins with thankfulness. And he says that he's just glad that God has blessed and gifted his church. And here, what Paul does is he doesn't let the people's abuse of God's gift take away his joy from the fact that God has gifted them in the first place. He makes a distinction between the goodness of God in gifting his people from the badness of the people in using these gifts in ways they were never intended. Paul separates the grace of God from the disgrace of the people. And when the church disappoints us, that is such a difficult thing to do. But it's so important. One of my earliest memories of um, church was when I was in, in grade school, third or fourth grade. My parents sent me to a church vacation Bible school in the summertime, and I remember going really nervous. I, I didn't know anybody who was there, and everybody knew what to do and where to go, and I didn't. There were prayers that were said, and I didn't know any of them, and so I felt very out of place in the church, and um, we need to remember there's people who would feel that way in, in our church, too, who are who are newer, and and we can help them um, with that, obviously. But anyway, um, I I went into my class, and there was a girl who was in my class whose name was uh, Melissa. And if you've ever seen a movie where there's like a cute girl who has like a wicked heart, you know, that was Melissa. Um, She was just mean, and she really purposely excluded me from the people who were in this class. And I don't want to, you know, overstate it in any way, but to me at that time, she had a heart of pure evil. Um, <laughs> anyway, I was working on a craft one time in this class, and I must have drank a lot of water. I really needed to, um, to use the bathroom. And So I said to my teacher, who happened to be Melissa's mom, I think I'm pretty sure that it was Melissa's mom. Um, I said, "Could I, can I use the bathroom?" And she said, "Sure." And so I went to the bathroom, and it was a little ways away down a hallway that was very dark, and the light wasn't on in the bathroom. And I couldn't find the light switch. Looked all over for the light switch, and eventually I gave up. I went back to my class, and I said to Melissa's mom, "I said, I, you know, I can't find the light switch." And she said, "Well, it's there. You know, just go go look for it. I'm sure it's on the wall." And so she sent me back, and I looked again, and I, I literally I was convinced that that bathroom was built without a switch in it. <laughs> I, I couldn't find anything, and I went back, and I said, "You know, I, I can't find the light switch." And Melissa overheard this, and she started making fun of me. She said something, and everybody in the class laughed, including her mother. You know, not as she wasn't laughing as much as the rest of the class, but she did. And she said, the light switch is, is there. I'm sure the light switch is there. Just look for it. So I went back to the bathroom, and I looked for the light switch, and I couldn't find it. And so what I did, not to get too graphic here, but I walked into the bathroom. I shut the door behind me. It was completely dark, and I went to the bathroom on the floor. And it wasn't that I was trying to protest. It wasn't that I was trying to make a a mess. (laughs) Today, it probably would be. But back then, it wasn't. But I just didn't have a choice. I didn't know what to do. And I came back into that class. I finished my craft. I went home. And I never went back to that church again. And even to this day, I will pass by that church. And there's just a little tiny part of me that still feels what I felt, and I'm so glad that after that, I had so many good experiences with church. But many people don't. Many people have a bad experience with a church like that, or a bad experience of a person they feel represents the church, and they never come back again. And if you've been a part of church for any amount of time, you've probably got a story like that. You've probably got a person who's like Melissa. You could probably stand up and tell about a real difficult person who hurts you or lets you down or is insensitive or or kept you out of something. You could probably share about a hypocrite that you know know who was offensive or insulting. And, And what I want us to see this morning is Paul knew a lot of people like that in this church. Paul knew a lot of people who were like that in this church. And this makes this little section of scripture so helpful because there were two things that Paul did not allow to happen in his heart. And the first thing is this. He didn't let the flaws of God's people spiritually discourage him. He didn't let the the flaws of God's people spiritually uh, discourage him. He realized that even though God is devoted and involved and, and participates deeply with his people, that God is also holy and set apart from his people. That God's love and his goodness and all of his perfections are not polluted by the imperfections of his people. God's people do not represent God Himself, And that is such an important distinction. By the way, that's not even just true for the worst of God's people, but it's also true for the best of God's people. Uh, Somebody might say sometime, if they've spent some time with a person that they feel is really godly, they could say, wow, that's such a great person. I feel like when I'm with them, like I've been with Jesus. And the truth in that is, no, they really haven't. I mean that person, even that wonderful person, falls so short, and and that's like saying that this chipmunk over here is so much like this lion over here, right? It might be a great chipmunk, it might be the best chipmunk, but it is never going to be a lion. Don't let the flaws of other Christians discourage you spiritually. I know that that's so hard. But when you're wounded by a Christian, don't let that color your perspective of God. And that is one reason why the Bible is so important and helpful, because it's here that we see who God is clearly. And that's a part of why it's such a gift. Well, the second thing that Paul didn't allow is he didn't allow the problems with the church to devalue his view of the church. He didn't let the problems within the church devalue his view of the church. And if it is our expectation that the church is supposed to be this ideal utopia where it's the one place in the world that I can go to that I always fit in and I always feel the way that I want to feel and I'm always treated right by other people and everything always feels like it's in perfect harmony, what will happen is we will become incredibly disappointed. And when we are disappointed in that way with the church, our temptation will be to walk away and not come back. And a lot of Christians do this. They say, you know, I think it would actually be better for me if I protect my heart and go it alone. So it's just going to be me in my home with my Bible and maybe I'll take some guitar lessons and I can kind of figure out how to do the Christian life on my own. I'll be better off that way. And Paul reminds us here that in spite of all of its flaws, the church is the primary vehicle of God's work in the world. And he says here that God has gifted his church collectively and only his church to, to accomplish everything that he wants to see happen. God doesn't give you all the gifts, and he doesn't give me all the gifts. He gives us all the gifts. The Bible teaches he gives his church everything that she needs. And though we are so imperfect and disappointing towards each other at at times, the Bible is so clear that we are so much better together than we ever could be alone. And the problem is that those who begin to drift away from the people of God inevitably begin to drift away from the person of God. Because God gives us the church for our own good and protection. And in spite of all the church's flaws, and they are certainly deep, God adores his church. And Paul gives thanks that God throws open the treasure chest of heaven and he pours out his good gifts onto his people. And Paul says, what a great God we have for that. In spite of all of its problems, Paul says, I am thankful for God's grace in what he has given the church. Well, the second thing that Paul mentions in this passage is not just something that he, he's thankful that happened in the past. God gifted his people, but he's also thankful for something that God is going to do in his church in the future, and that is he's going to perfect his church And this is really wonderful, too. Uh, Take a look in verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I, I shared with you a little bit earlier that I had that moment where I was very offended by someone who was in the church. Um, but the truth is I've also been on the other side too. I've also been the offender in fact, a few uh, years ago there was a person in the church that I wasn't real close with but I was somewhat close with who um, stopped coming to the church just kind of like that and I, I didn't see him anymore and so I called them and left a message and I didn't hear back and I wrote them an email or two but I didn't hear anything and Um, A little while later, I I just happened to hear from somebody else who knew this person the reason that they had uh, left the church, and this person told me that it was me. Uh, I was the reason that they had left, and they had felt, um, in this other person's words, like I didn't really value them, and I didn't care about them the way that um, they had hoped that I would. And I remember when I heard that, I felt really torn um, for two reasons. Part of it was I remember thinking, man, I I wish this person would have told me because then I could have known and we could have had a conversation and I could have learned something about um, the way that I related. It would have been helpful for me and it would have been helpful uh, for them too. I struggled with that a little bit. The other thing that I really struggled with was as I thought about it, I thought, you know, I can see how they would have felt that. I can see how they would have felt like I didn't care about them as well as I should have, that, that I wasn't a great friend to them or pastor to them. And I wished with all my heart that it could have been different. I, I wished with all my heart I would have been a better friend or a better pastor. And we've all experienced times in life where we felt that, haven't we? Times we wish we had done things perfectly perfectly. And I think it's the longing of every person's heart to want to be perfect, to want to come through for people, to want to be the kind of father or mother or son or daughter or friend or parent who never makes mistakes, who, who never offends anybody. Wouldn't you love, wouldn't you give anything to be perfect? And what Paul says here is he says that even though this church in Corinth could be described as anything but perfect. Perfect is the last word that would ever be used about this church. What Paul says to them is that even though that's true, he says, one day you will be. He says, in spite of your behavior, God is going to see you through to the end. And he is going to present you before the Father guiltless and blameless. Or as he writes about the church in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, without a spot or a wrinkle, holy and without a a blemish. What Paul says here is the outcome for this church is going to be spectacular, and there's nothing that puts that in jeopardy. Isn't that a hopeful thing to say to a church that has wounded you? Isn't that kind for Paul to remind them of what their future is? Will be. Paul later would tell them that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. And that is the hope and promise for every person who's trusted what Christ has done. The person I am now is not going to be the person I'll be. The church I'm a part of now is not the church it will be in Christ laid down his life so that that would be true. What would we do if God had given us what we deserve? Where would we be if Jesus had not gone to the cross to pay for our sins? One of the best pieces of parenting advice that I've ever received has been this. Three words. It's a stage. It's a stage. Great parenting advice, right? So when my think that my two-year-old's hitting somebody, Um, he's not always going to hit. When your eight-year-old wets the bed, they're not always going to wet the bed. When your teenager is very withdrawn and difficult, they're not always going to be withdrawn and difficult. And the church will not always be a messy, disappointing place. Great hope for the people of God is that one day we will be perfect. And what's amazing about Paul is this, that he didn't just see the church for what it was. He saw it for what it would be. Now, I hope if you're a part of our church, I hope you love our church. I hope you find that at our church, God really is helping you to become alive in him in a real way. I hope he's changing your heart and growing your relationships with other people. And I hope our church gives you a place where you can use your gifts because the Bible teaches you have them to give. But you know, as, as, as much as I love and many of us love our church now, I can't wait to see what it will become. when God perfects it. This is just the start, and, and the very best churches out there are just a glimmer of what the church will one day be. And, and with all of its faults and and defects, Paul points us to the idea that it's a privilege to be a part of a church, not just our church, but any church. And so what I want us to see this morning in this attitude, and especially when we're hurt by the church or by people in the church, is is Paul's attitude about that. The passage reminds us that we should not be surprised by the flaws that we see in the church. We shouldn't be afraid to acknowledge them or pretend that they aren't there. Pretend we have it all together. We don't. We should be patient, and we should be grateful and hopeful and have a good attitude about the church. We should make a distinction between God and his followers, and we ought not let our inevitable disappointment with the people of God color the person of God. But we play our part. We use our gifts. We invest our life in the church knowing that without a doubt, the best is yet to come so what this passage does is Paul starts out by talking about something he's thankful for in the past, that God has gifted his people with everything they need to do his work. And he talks about the future, that God will perfect his people, and one day the problems they face now won't be, uh, uh, they won't be there anymore. They'll be gone. They'll be past. They'll be history. But now what he's going to do next is he's going to focus not on the past, not on the future, but He's going to turn his attention towards the present. What he's going to say is that this church has some serious issues that need to be addressed. No church is perfect, but that doesn't give any church an excuse just to stay there. What Paul's going to say now is he's going to say, Corinthians, you need to see a few things. And you need to address a few things. And we need to get to work. And that is where we're going to begin to head next week and throughout the book. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your wisdom and your goodness to us. We thank you that even though sometimes we can be repelled by people that you use even those situations to help us and to grow us and to uh, teach us and mature us. And we thank you that you've given us the church. We thank you that you oversee the church, that you lead the church. We thank you that you empower the church. And we thank you for the promises that you have given to the church. Help us to believe those things. We pray that you would strengthen our church and that you would help uh, the people in our uh, church to use their abilities and their gifts to accomplish the things that you've called us to do. And, and we pray that um, in our hearts that we would have the same gratitude for your people that, that Paul did for those people. And we uh, thank you that you have not just called us into relationship with each other, but you've, you've called us into relationship with yourself through your son. And we thank you that you never disappoint us. You never let us down. You may tell us hard things that we don't want to hear, but you do it for our good and our blessing. And we thank you for that this morning. We invite you to be at work deeply in our hearts and in the hearts of our church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.